Welcome to the Dental Amigos Podcast with Dr. Paul Goodman and attorney Rob Montgomery, taking you behind the scenes of the dental business world, all the things you didn't learn in dental school but wish you had. Rob is not a dentist and Paul is not a lawyer, but since Rob is a lawyer, we need to tell you that this podcast is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not and will not create an attorney-client relationship. As is always the case, you should formally consult with legal counsel before proceeding with any legal matter. Learn more about the Dental Amigos at www.thedentalamigos.com. And now, here are the Dental Amigos. Hello, everyone. I'm Rob Montgomery. I'm joined, as always, by the head nacho himself, Dr. Paul Goodman. Great to be here, Rob. Good to see you, Paul. As always, welcome to another episode of the Dental Amigos, the only podcast co-hosted by a dentist and a lawyer. We are unique. We need. I think we are. We <laughs> yeah. have to verify that. Yeah. I'm just going to keep saying it until somebody tells me it's not true. Uh, today, we're joined by Patrick Valentz of Excite Realty. Uh, Patrick has over 18 years of combined experience in the healthcare and real estate industries. He successfully negotiated lease and sales transactions throughout Texas for hundreds of healthcare clients. His experience includes representing general and specialty dental practices, veterinary hospitals, freestanding emergency departments, urgent care centers, optometry and ophthalmology specialists, physical therapy, and rehabilitation practices, plastic surgeons, and medical imaging providers. Prior to Patrick's commercial real estate career, he worked with a dental distributor in Houston, Texas. In this role, he helped clients with supply management, equipment purchases, setting goals, and starting new practices, and relocating existing dental practices. Patrick is a Texas guy all the way. He grew up in Sugarland, Texas, and moved to Houston upon graduating from Texas Tech. He and his wife, Veronica, enjoy spending time with their two sons, Morgan and William, and their dog, Lucy. Patrick has competed in and finished two Ironman competitions, which is the real deal. Very impressive. Yeah. Uh, He also enjoys fishing, running, and volunteering in his community. And today, we're going to chat with Patrick about what goes into ground up dental construction projects, you know, things that dentists should be thinking about and where some dentists go wrong in the process. So now without further ado, here's Patrick Valentz. Welcome amigo. And thanks for being on the show. Welcome. Um, thank you guys. And it's a pleasure to be with you guys. Yeah, it's cool. So Paul. Yeah. Thanks Patrick. I know I've been to uh, Texas a few times for some lectures and, uh, I'm sure you have a good answer for this. So one of my group, uh, Dental Nachos, uh, we're very into, very into nachos. So I like to ask if, we, if I was down there, where would we go for nachos and uh, what's your favorite topping? Um, anytime if you're in Houston, Texas, you got to hit two places up. Uh, my two favorite is going to be El Tiempo or Lupe Tortilla. Uh, Lupe Tortilla is, uh, their beef is amazing. So you would have to, to go with the, the beef uh, topping there. And at El Tiempo, um, they have a, uh, a filet uh, nacho that you got to try oh, out. Nice, I like that. So it's beef as well, but it's with filet meat, and it's amazing. That's the real deal nacho, Paul. Yeah, yeah. This it's is not authentic. amateur We're going stuff. Go to the homeland. Yeah, yeah. This is, go come this down. Is yeah. Houston, Texas. I like nachos, that. right? Yeah. That's right. And both places have excellent margaritas as well. Oh, of course, perfect. Right? Yeah, Parenting medicine. I need it. I need it, Patrick. <laughs> and so, Patrick, uh, you've uh, you've competed in two uh, two Ironman competitions, which is which is really awesome. You know, I can as a, a former you know reformed uh, marathon swimmer, I, I can appreciate the the work and the time that goes into that. Uh, tell our listeners a little bit about uh, your triathlon career. Oh, um, you know, it started out, um, I don't know what year it was, 2004. 
Um, I, I think I, I trained for my first uh, marathon, and a buddy of mine after that was doing a, a little sprint triathlon, and my mindset was, man, I just ran 26.2 miles. I, I could do a, a, a little sprint triathlon, and uh, about 100, 100 meters into the swim, uh, I was floating on my back and doing anything that I could to uh, <laughs> cross the finish line. So. Um, I, I saw that it was challenging, um, and my mindset was, you know, I wanted to go after that and do it, and I kept training and, and uh, uh, competed in, in several sprint triathlons, which turned into Olympic, and then, you know, my goal was to try to get to a half uh, Ironman, and, and as soon as I did that, uh, my first thought was, hey, I could do the full, and so uh, I went after uh, Florida, and then after that, uh, quarter lane, which was uh, amazing, beautiful, and uh, definitely something that I wasn't uh, 100% prepared for because of the, uh, the the hills or the mountains that are up there. Right. Yeah, that makes a difference, right? So, so basically, know, Patrick, you you finished 26.2 miles, and your first thought was, "Not enough. I need to do more." So that's pretty pretty impressive. That's the bug. Yeah, yeah my, right. mine would have been, where are the nachos? So, <laughs> <laughs> well, there's there's definitely good food along the way, and yeah. and. Uh, and and food at the end so definitely uh, a goal and that's one of the things that uh, i think that was part of my fitness was um, i've spent a a lot of time in my lifetime trying to uh, outwork my diet because i do enjoy good food (laughs) i like that i can get behind that it's good good motivation well i mean i think you know and and well obviously we were talking before that uh, it, it's it's really almost impossible to maintain that kind of training schedule that you need for that. So uh, you, now that you are a father of, of two and you have a business, uh, I'm, I'm assuming that you're still not competing in, in Ironman triathlons at this point. No, the the Coeur Ironman was in 2012 um, <clears throat> and uh, started the business in, in February of uh, 2013. And then shortly after that, uh, well, a few years after that, 2016, my, my first son was born, and, and 2018, my second son was born. Um, so um, life is busy, yeah. um, but but very rewarding. So I mean, but when you're when you're training for a race like that, a, an Ironman distance triathlon, like how many hours a week are you are you spending working out? Oh, probably. Um, uh, just off a cuff, I would probably say 20, um, I mean, or, or more, I'm thinking about it, you know, as you're building up to the, 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 the event, you know, I would do my training in three-week cycles where you're, you build up, and at the end of that three weeks is, is the, the heavy workout, and, and usually, you know, a month and a half before you could be riding, um, let's say, you know, 110 miles on a Saturday and then get up on Sunday and run, run 20 miles. So, um, <laughs> and then try to, to come home and, and, and eat and prepare for the next week. So it doesn't uh, work in your household now because I have two someone just be like, Hey, I'm just going on a 20 mile run. See you, see you later. Uh, <laughs> there, there are days where it's probably tempting. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Like I could stay here or <laughs> yes, I could I just know. go run 20 miles. <laughs> let me yeah. go get my seat. Let me go get my shoes on. You're competing in emotional Ironman now, Patrick. So it's like the same. <laughs> well, that's right. You know, well, my, my, I'm tempted to because my wife always tells me I'm not a real Iron Man until I've done three. But you know, oh, wow, that's wow. tough, man. <laughs> that is tough because I thought once you did one, you know, you could you could have that title, right? Yeah. Well, I, I as far as I'm concerned, yes. <laughs> that's great. And what, what and what do you do now to uh, to, to keep yourself in shape? Um, do a little CrossFit training with uh, some running and swimming. Cool. 
you know, and I have to imagine too that you know those experiences uh, of, of doing those races is something that you you draw on in in your business and you know being the entrepreneur that you are and doing a, you know a startup real estate business really there are things that uh, you know or it gives you that kind of that callous mind that you know to know that you you can power through hard things. Absolutely, that was one of the best things that um, that. Uh, I got back or took away from from doing those Ironman competitions is is um, the amazing things that the body and mind um, can do and can accomplish if you set goals um, and and stay driven and um, and overcome obstacles that you'll have during the way. Before we get um, into your uh, and that's an awesome message, Patrick. But before we get into your topic, I have a feeling um, I'm going to ask this question. I think I know what the answer is because Rob seems to attract these people. What time do you get up in the morning? Uh, no later than 530. <laughs> See, Paul? Always the Mark Costas. Yeah. How about you guys just don't even sleep? You're, just, you're, just let one day run into another. You're it's the weird fine. one, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 7, 15 a.m. Come over. Come yeah, yeah, over. Yeah. Come over to the yeah, early people, club. Everyone out does each other. We're going to get someone on the show that says, you know, they only they only sleep every other night for Rob. So, 4.30 you know. in the morning is my time, <laughs> yeah, Paul. Yeah, right, I yeah. can do whatever work yeah, I want. Yeah, yeah. I can I can listen to a podcast. Yeah. I can return some emails. <laughs> Nobody bothers me, you know. I love those early morning hours. Nothing beats it on Tuesday. Thursday, I'm at, at 4.45 on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 5.30. Yeah. <laughs> Always breaking. You know what? This, I'm, take, I'm stealing someone's joke, but how come How come no one ever um, compliments the people who stay up late at night? I do that, and no one's, ever, no one's ever complimenting me. Sometimes I'm up till 1 a.m. on my phone doing dental nachos. There's no compliments, <laughs> right? Paul, good job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thanks, Rob. I appreciate my compliments. it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, so, uh, Patrick, uh, tell us a little bit more about uh, Excite Realty and uh, what you guys do uh, in the dental space. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I can back up a little bit too, and just go through the, the how how we got here, right? Um, you know, I, I've been in the dental industry for for 18 years, 2001, and um, started out working for Patterson Dental as a, a dental distributor rep. And uh, pretty early in that, my career there, um, you know, I was helping doctors open up practices, and I saw all the critical disciplines that it needed to open up a practice. And you know, I was left there installing the equipment and supplies. And, and everybody was pointing their finger at the contractor or the architect or the landlord, um, and nobody wanted to own up to the responsibility on, on why the project was delivered late, why the doctor is paying rent, and why they're not open and seeing patients. And, and you know, I, I said, there's got to be a better way to do this, and I, and I wanted to get on the front side of it. And so I got my real estate license because I thought that that was the, the avenue to do it. Uh, I got my license in 2004, but still stuck around Patterson until 2008, um, and, and, and left and, and got into the, the the real estate arena and, and world, and where, where I met my business partners, and and then we started um, Excite Realty in in, in 2013. Um, but but really the the uh, the the goal is to meet the doctors, try to be their first point of contact, um, use a database approach to selecting the right location. Uh, we provide uh, demographics and data, and make sure that we're not um, finding a location that that's put uh, put them in a in an oversaturated market, um, and, and just finding all the information that they need to set them up to to be successful. Um, and and then and then on the on the real estate side, um, you know, we want to negotiate the most aggressive um, economics 
uh, or anything that's going to cost them money. It could be rent. It could be tenant improvement allowance. It could be if they're buying land, you know, we want to lower that cost. So creating the right leverage in the market. Um, and then um, help coordinate the, the critical disciplines, you know, as far as the, the right team members. Um, and, it, and it could be, you know, attorneys. It could be uh, contractors, designers, um, whoever it may be, but, but trusted partners within the business um, to, to help the, the doctor succeed. You know, make that, that um, path as uh, uh, seamless as possible. That's good. And, and who, like, uh, walk us through a little bit. You know, I, I play the uh, role of the dentist here since I'm the only one on this call as a dentist. Uh, Patrick, don't be jealous, but, um, uh, <laughs> like, who's coming to you? Like, a typical client, is it an associate or someone who wants to, you know, um, get another practice? Walk us through a little bit, like, kind of a day. Uh, so some- we, we work with both, right? Uh, we've been in the industry a, uh, a long time now, or I have. And so, um, the majority of our clientele are uh, younger uh, doctors at uh, anywhere out of school for two years, uh, and sometimes before that because um, the, the market down here, um, if we identify a, a prime location, you know, you have to be able to commit to it pretty quickly. But two to five years out of school, um, uh, that they're, they're an associate in a practice, and they're looking to be an entrepreneur and open up their own business. Um, and, and, and those guys we take in and, and really educate them on the process. Um, then we have some guys that, that, that want multiple practices or have been in their lease space for 10 or 15 years and, and want to build their dream practice somewhere or they need more square footage, so we relocate them. And, and those are the guys, too, that are, that are doing some ground-up construction and, and, and want to have some, some rental income to, to help supplement you know, their retirement. So um, most of it is the, the young guys starting up. I'd probably say 60% of that and 40% of the doctors that we represent are the, the, the guys that have been in the game for, for 10 to 15 years. I think it's interesting what you said is, you know, some of these people are coming to you and starting earlier. I think that's really crucial for people to, to understand. Uh, you know, we recently had a, a CPA on the show, Jason Deshays, who talked about the importance of sort of getting, you know, what, being involved at the start, you know, and not, not you know, getting a, a CPA or getting your team engaged after the process has already started to roll. And I think that nowhere in the in the dental world is that more important than when it comes to the the real estate uh, piece of things. You know what what you guys do. I mean, when I see clients uh, come to me, that you know the extreme you know worst you know case is where you know somebody just drove by uh, a space that they thought they would like, and they they called the the broker on the sign, and then started to negotiate a, a deal like that. That's the extreme wrong thing to do but you know i really see that you know as is the case with any consultant and you know you guys include it you really as a, as a dentist can set yourself up to succeed if you start early in the process and start you know in a very organized orderly planning way you know and working with you know somebody you know like patrick or, or his team that you know, gets to know you and what's important for you and what you're looking for and kind of where you want to be and what kind of practice you want to have. And, you know, it's just like so many things, Paul. It's like the more you put into a relationship, 
the more you get out yeah, of it. Very you know? true. And if you just pick up the phone on the eve of and, and, and call a realtor or call a lawyer or call a CPA, like we're, we're very limited as right. to what, what we can do. We still can get it done. But like if you really want to get the value, you know, start early, start the planning. And you can be so much more purposeful of, you know, yeah, with, with the, the approach. The, the nacho horse is out of the barn, one of my catchphrases, and you can't <laughs> get them back. And, and uh, you know, kind of you set us up with a framework of these, you know, um, totally insane things you do called Ironmans, uh, Patrick. But no, um, you know, you would go and you'd see an Ironman, you'd, you'd train for it, and you put all this, you take all these sense steps that make sense and i you know i kind of see these dentists are training for the the iron man of their career forever and um i try to just infuse and in what i share with dentists that you just got to start thinking about it and being aware of this so early in your career and i just mm-hmm. i fault dental school so much for not introducing and making students aware of this right you know just uh it's it would, it would just do so much if they knew that who these people existed. These are the people in your neighborhood that you're going to have to deal with. But they're so focused on the Krebs cycle. Our listeners will laugh, but you guys won't because you don't really study that. But we do. You told me what it yeah, is. Yeah. I actually, I've, you've told me a few times and, I, and I, I always forget. I mean, they, they make us memorize these crazy things that you can Google instead of learning about how to kind of develop yourself in all different ways, much like the, the Iron Man. So uh, I, uh, I just think that's a good example of, you know, you, you couldn't ignore the swimming part of it. Right, Patrick, or else during the swimming, it would be a problem. That's right. And, you know, and Den- and, dentists ignore the business part and they get out there of the Ironman of their the career and they're like, oh, man, there's quite a bit of swimming. That's right. And uh, you guys hit on a, a pretty important topic that, that we have to um, explain all the time. Right at the beginning, um, you said, uh, you know, they, they drive down the street and they see a sign and they, they, they call the, the broker that has the number up there. Um uh, you know, we're transparent on how we get paid. We're paid by the landlord, right? So our, our services and things that we provide, um, you're not the, the doctor is not going to write us a check, but uh, our traditional and legal responsibility be, will be with them and to represent them uh, the, the best that we can. If you call the, 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 the person on the sign, uh, their traditional and legal responsibility is with their client who they're representing and, and who is the landlord. And so they're trying to get the highest rent and give away the fewest concessions. Um, so that that is an important important thing to understand that our services is an, an extra fee, um, and we're we're not going to be incentivized to take you. So if you call somebody on that sign, you can't go into that building. Um, they're going to take you to three other buildings that they represent, so they can get the the, the bigger fee and try to represent both sides on, on that. So it's important to have a, a tenant representation um, uh, represent you, a tenant rep broker represent you on, on finding the best space that's not incentivized to take you uh, to only their uh, locations. So. Yeah, that's key. And, you know, we, we haven't talked about that on the show recently. We, we have in a couple of instances, and, you know, everybody needs to really hear that. And I, it even goes, you know, one step further that, you know, people think that I think a lot of dentists think that they can save money if they deal directly with a landlord. And, you know, it's just not the case. And not only do you not save money, but, you know, I tell people all the time and I say it, you know, if you are unrepresented, you know, get ready for the, you know, the hayseed deal. You know, you're not going to get, you know, the deal that is, you know, the market deal where, you know, uh, if you had a broker would be able to say to the to the landlord, 
hey, you know what, this is crazy. This is not the number for this. Or where's the TI uh, allowance? Or there's no free rent. You know, like these are things that, you know, and we've talked about this in different contexts, Paul. A lot of people just don't know what they don't know. And it's tempting because anybody can drive by and see a sign and dial their cell phone. And, you know, in this world that we're in of instant gratification, like I have to know, I have to know. What's the rent? I have to know. I can't wait. It's Friday afternoon. I I, I can call the broke, my broker, but, you know, I mean, what, what if, but I can't go through the weekend without knowing, yeah. you know, what this is going to cost, you know, and, and it's just like, you know, hear us now, you know, that this is, you know, just resist the temptation because once you do that, you, you make it almost impossible for, uh, to, to bring in your own representative to help you with a transaction. And then you're just kind of in this like no man's land. That's right. Um, so, you know, what we see, uh, you know, in in your market, uh, Patrick, and so you guys, uh, Excite, uh, if you could tell our listeners, you're uh, you started in in the, the Houston market. And I think you're you're in other places in in Texas as well. Is that correct? That's right. We're uh, we started actually in Houston and Dallas. And then uh, uh, nine months after that, we, we rolled out offices in, in, in Austin and San Antonio. Um, and we also have an office in, in in northern Florida as well. Right, and that's that's kind of a new uh, a new thing for you guys that you're 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 moving into into that market, right? We did. Uh, we actually have um, Austin Cure, uh, who who started here, has got a good story. Came to us and worked as an intern in our Dallas office, and then after a while, he when he graduated college, he moved down to the Austin, Texas market and was there. And we were uh, moving into the Florida market, and he he wanted to uh, take on that responsibility, so he moved there and in january of of this year and it's doing a great job that's cool yeah we've done uh we've done deals with uh mutual clients with uh with austin and uh he's been been really uh really good to work with uh but you know so in that especially in that the texas areas that that you're talking about Mm -hmm. we see uh a lot more you know startups than than transitions because my firm we do both but i would say that that's probably also the place where we see the most ground up construction and mm-hmm. you know when when we say ground up construction for our listeners i mean you and i patrick know what we're talking about i think paul kind of knows but what we're mm-hmm. talking about is you know where you're 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 buying either a, a lease or you're buying the real estate that you know the building doesn't exist so you're going to either you're going to be the developer as the owner or the the landlord is going to develop the property and i think probably my my understanding or my suspicion with that is just that the population growth has been just so enormous in in these markets that you're talking about it just doesn't seem like there's as much kind of existing real estate so i think people end up with you know the alternative option which is hey i can't find anything i like so i'm going to build it is that do you, do you think that's true patrick or what's your what's your take as to why you know you see so much of that in your in your area so um you know the first thing we we have the in texas we have a, a lot of land right and so it, it it's uh, gives us the opportunity to do that and there's been a lot of growth with with new homes um and, and where we're seeing a lot of this where, um, it, with our older doctors that have, uh, that we felt 10 years ago and that have done their 10, 10 year lease, you know, one of their renewal options and, and they're in the middle part of their career and, and they're thinking about, okay, well, what, what can I do to supplement my retirement and, and, and really try to, to build some wealth, um, for my retirement and, uh, because it is a different loan, uh, it's a lot more money 
um, to do this, you have to do um, a certain percentage down on the land. Um, so you, you have to be pretty well capitalized to do it. Uh, but, but what got us doing some of the construction management on it is I, I saw too many doctors uh, make the mistake that they buy the land, they talk to the, the general contractor that, that, that you know, did a design build on, on their um, you know, two to 3,000 square foot building that they're in, and they gave them a price. Uh, I could build it for a certain price, and I'll build you, you need 3,000, I'll build you a 5,000 or 10,000 square foot building, and you could lease it out. Uh, to, to another tenant. Sounds and, great. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Right? <laughs> right. Recurring rental income. I'm, I'm on board. Yeah. And, and so what, what happens is they don't think about some of the soft costs that can, could incur in there, right? So if you have additional space to lease out, um, you're going to have brokers that, that are bringing people to you to lease space. So there, there needs to be broker's fees involved in that. Um, there's going to be legal fees involved in that because more than likely whoever the broker brings to the to, to lease space from you is going to have an attorney. Um, so they're going to have, you're going to have a lease and your lease needs to be drafted by an attorney. So that's another soft cost that gets left out. And then the, the, the big one is, I, I, you know, they don't account for tenant improvement. How do you build a space that's going to be competitive in the market? Um, uh, and to be competitive in the market, developers have tenant improvement allowance. So if you want to attract tenants to your building, you have to have a competitive uh, amount that's set aside for that. And so when that wasn't Wait, set just, aside... Let me just stop you for a second there, Patrick, just for our listeners. So we're talking about tenant improvement allowance. What we're talking about is where a landlord is paying a portion or making a contribution to the tenant to build out the office you know, for, for a dental practice. And usually it's expressed in... Uh, a number, an amount per square foot, you know, $20 a square foot, $40 a square foot. And that's money. It's a check usually that the, that the landlord writes and gives to the tenant uh, after they've completed the improvements and, and opened their practice. So it's, you know, this is a, you know, a, a, could be a, a very significant expense that Patrick's talking about. That's right. And, and so when their, their contractor gave them the number to build the building, they would leave that number out because they didn't know and then, you know, they're trying to attract tenants to the building. And then so what they end up doing is saying, well, I don't have any extra capital or cash um, to give in tenant improvement allowance, but what I'll do is I'll cut you a way below market rental rate or give you free rent. Um, and, and what that does is it lowers the value of your building. Your building is, and your asset that you have, uh, it, the value of that is going to be based off of a, a net operating income or rental income. So whatever money you get, you know, get brought in, it'll be assessed on a, on a cap rate. Um, and that cap rate fluctuates depending on what kind of tenants that you have in there, what, you know, what's the term of the lease, um, different things like that. Uh, but if you, you give a low rental rate, you're basically cutting the price uh, that you can trade your building for, or you're cutting the, the lowering your, your income that you get from that asset. So you, you want to build a performa for these buildings. You want to understand what all of your hard costs, all of your soft costs are, and then come up with a rental rate uh, and value of what your, your, your building is going to be worth. And, and my thing is, you know, even if, you know, some doctors, they want to hold on to their buildings. Some of them may want to flip it and do another development because you could 1031 that money. Uh, where you're not paying, um, you know, taxes on on that income, and you could roll it into a to another development to do something bigger. But always have an exit strategy, whether you want to hold uh, or or sell it and, and and flip that money into another development. 
Yeah, so, it's an asset. You know, it's it's just and it's a, it's a huge investment that you're making in that for sure. That's right. And so you you want to do it right, and you want to do it. Um, uh, you know, have that performa set aside. And a lot of times, you could take that. You know, what what we do as far as that performa, take it to the bank, and 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 get a loan based on all the hard costs, all the soft costs. So additional money is not coming out of your pocket, and everything is accounted for. Um, PI, um, you know, legal fees, everything. So uh, I saw too many doctors go down that road, and uh, we had the opportunity to um, uh, work with with. Uh, Helena Jenkins, who who heads up that that program that we've worked with um, for the past ten years, uh, and brought her on board, and she's been on board with us for uh, I can't remember, but I'll say three at least three years um, working with our clients on these projects now. Yeah, and this is you know this is the classic example of you don't know what you don't know, and so anybody that's listening now that sort of felt like they got lost through you know and some of what Patrick was talking about yes that's true you probably got lost because this is a whole nother line of business and this is something that I tell people you know like that are considering doing similar projects like that you know like you are a dentist you make money being a dentist you know and if you're going to do a project like this you have to you know apprise yourself of good advice and good consulting and really understand what it is you're diving into uh, and because it's not like you know the the simple dental office lease this is a whole nother thing and this is one area where there's no way in the world you should try to diy it and uh, maybe i can add some dentist color commentary here for our listeners and you guys is that if you said to a dentist you know dentists who try to do this on their own you could say uh, do you uh, do your own lab work for your own crowns? And they would say, oh, of course not. And I say, well, that's this, right? You need to send it to somebody who does this every day. So a dentist wouldn't do their own lab work for a crown. You know, they would think that's totally nacho nuts, a term we throw in our household <laughs> frequently, usually right at me. Um, but uh, uh, that's just a way for dentists to get on board. You know, if you wouldn't do your own crown. And actually, you know, not to get to uh, dental speak on you guys, that a single tooth crown is just one tooth. It's really actually like doing your own implant, uh, fixed implant case, which is rehabilitating someone's entire mouth and doing the lab work for that, which would just be impossible. So, right. you know, it's a, uh, it's just an important point of just letting people who do what they do every day do it well. Yeah. And if you don't, I mean, you could have this great dental practice, but you've got, you know, 5,000 square feet of vacant space that you can't right. figure yeah, out. Yeah. Right? And you still got to pay the yeah. mortgage. You know? exactly. It's like, right. you know, uh, is that really and, 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 it, and it's something that could have been avoided through through better planning, better preparation. Right. And, and if I could add to that, too, you know, I'd like to say, you know, one of the mistakes that I see people that that. that they make there too is is they'll know the contractor from building the interior space and and the, did a design build and they'll just say sure I'll I'll do that, but the the investment side of this is going to be three to four times or maybe even more than that uh, on what you spent on building the interior office right and 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 so you know they should competitively bid every component of it from the the designer of the office to the architect of the office to the the general contractor because you know when we're looking at the 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 price tag at the end of the day on everything that they're going to spend um, if, if you competitively bid and create leverage on on uh, every aspect of that you're going to save a lot of money yeah 
Yeah, no, that's that, that's great advice. And you know, and, and it's like if you're in that space and you're a dentist, and you're even if you think that you're going to try to do that yourself, once again, you don't even know where to begin or have the time. I, I understand where's the, these things you can't do at 11 p.m. at night or 4 a.m. when you guys get up. But um, you know, the, that's another point. You're doing dentistry. You know, I was going to ask you, Patrick. You know, just as you walk us through a day in your life, like are the associates? I'm thinking they're practicing full time while they're opening their practice, so they don't really have a lot of extra time during the day to do this even if they could no um, it, especially the young associates and then and then even the the doctors that are doing projects like this I mean um, you know typically you know they're, they're working all day um, you know during the morning and, and early afternoon it gives us time to, to do our, our deal work and things like that and develop new clients uh, but then, you know, we're doing, you know, from 5 to 7 in the evening is when we're catching up with all of our clients, giving, a, giving them updates. Um, uh, so, you know, we get, try to get all the work done, you know, during the day. And then in, in the evening time, you know, we're, we're, as they're on their, on their commute home, we're, we're filling them in on all the information and things that happen. It's very time-consuming. Um, on a project, to say a ground-up construction project, um, it's going to take every bit of 18 to 24 months. Um, from when you get the land under contract um, to develop uh, a project where you open your doors for business. Um, so there, there's a lot of time that takes place into that. And if you're, if you're a practicing dentist, um, you, you, know, you need somebody that works directly for you and that will report directly to you on, on, a, on a weekly uh, basis. Right. Otherwise, 18 to 24 could be like five to six years if you're doing it, you know, <laughs> piecemealing it where you where you have the availability to deal with it on Fridays and Wednesday afternoons. Like, right, yeah. that's a project that would just go on forever at that point. Right. And I've seen I've seen some that, that have taken that long for yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. It's like the person. This is not me because I'm allergic to whatever, whatever gene people have to do this. But it's like the people who restore like a car or something and the cars in their <laughs> garage for a decade. Right. Like it's when your child's born and now they're in college like car still there you know so it's like that's what i think of that but it's not a, a side project it's your, your entire livelihood well it's worse because while you're fiddling around with this you own it and yes, you're paying right. yeah, you're yeah. paying a mortgage on it yeah. you know and so money's going out yes true. And, and no money's coming in you know and uh it, it's actually worse than worse than a car uh but with with that you know i think as well you know people should have an understanding too patrick that when you talk about financing um, mm -hmm. for a deal like this, it's a whole nother, whole different brewski than just the sort of the, the standard, hey, I'm going to lease a space or I'm going to buy a, an existing piece of real estate, right? Uh, uh, definitely. And that, that's the, the big component that people don't understand. <clears throat> you know, there's um, banks out there that will, uh, for the startup doctors that qualify, you know, you can get uh, a, a loan with pretty much no money down. Um, five hundred thousand dollars and and do a startup practice and and when you get into uh, de development um, you know you can put a, a significant amount down and and, and the products vary uh, bank to bank and so, some some uh, banks will have a bigger appetite for um, development projects than others and that's the the biggest piece of advice um, that I could give somebody is uh, when you are going to look to do this um, don't get discouraged if there's one bank um, that that is uh, not happy with maybe your financial situation. Um, whether you know it's probably good if you're you're looking to do something like this, but uh, these banks have have uh, products in boxes, just like um, I'll say Patterson Dental. They've got a product that they're selling. These banks have a product, and just because you don't fit into their box doesn't mean 
you don't fit into somebody's box out there. Um, so I, I would talk to several different partners out there, um, see what bank has the, the, the best product for you. And, um, and, and, you know, make a decision based on, you know, it could be, you know, how much capital you want to put down, how, you know, will they roll the, the land loan into the construction loan, when will you pay interest on it, you know, and what the carry cost is. And the carry cost is going to be, you know, what you said earlier, you're starting to pay on that land, and we put a timeline of 18 months, so there's going to be a lot of money going out at, at certain points because you're not only paying on that land, but you're paying for everybody to do the work. You're paying uh, architectural uh, fees to, to get the plans. And, you know, the contractor is competitively bidding it. And then, you know, the, the contractor is definitely doing their work. And, and you're paying that at that time the land, you know, the architect, the contractor, um, all kinds of people. So um, be prepared financially when you go into something like this. And, and it's good to have a plan. I know with our clients, we, we create that performa. And, and we create a timeline and, and when that, those, uh, those funds should be going out the door to, to supplement the, the development. So. And again, so this is another example, you know, what I'm hearing. It's like you don't know what you don't know. And so when you're working with somebody that understands this space, understands these projects, they know who the lenders are that will lend for this sort of deal. And so in your, your precious free time when you're scrambling around yeah, right. trying to line up financing, you know, kind of running into to dead ends because you're just not even talking to the right bank, you know. And I think I see that a lot in a lot of different aspects of our practice, even into practice acquisition. Somebody's like went into like the neighborhood bank. Right, yeah. and like, the neighborhood bank's going to lend me for this. Don't do it. Don't right. do it. Don't do it. Oh, no, they like me. They, I met with the uh, with the loan officer. Uh, she likes the deal. You know, it's like, of course she does. She's a salesperson. She makes money off of people borrowing money. Right, like, yeah. She likes every deal that walks in the in the uh, in the front door. They're not going to be able to get you to closing. And it's like, you know, and then, you know, after, you know, three, four weeks, they come back and say, you know, you were right. Right. Yeah, I got rejected right. that loan. Now, now we're like back to square one. Now they one. can't get that time back. Because right, you just yeah. don't even know who has the products, as, as Patrick says. And certain lenders have certain products. So just because one won't lend to you for your startup, for your acquisition, for your construction project, doesn't mean that there's not another one out there or another option. Yeah, I totally. So, Patrick, what, uh, what are some things that you see where... Uh, where people have have gone wrong with uh, with some of these ground up uh, construction projects. I mean, the obvious is what you said, and and I, and I see it, you know, all too frequently where people are kind of sold, you know, a bigger project than than they realize or that they've planned for, um, and and all the you know the impact of everything that you've been talking about. But what what are some other some other things that, that you've seen in some other areas where where folks just don't get it right, uh, and it comes back to bite them. So, um, you know, there, there's a couple of different things. Um, one is, is uh, you know, location, right? Um, you're, you're doing a development, um, and uh, some people will uh, they say, okay, I've, I've got an established um, client base now. You know, I, I don't need the visibility, accessibility, so I'm going to buy, um, you know, something around the corner that, that I could spend, you know, a little bit less money on doing. Um, and, and, you know, they, they build this beautiful building and they, they move into it and then they, they, they practice their, their career and, 
and that you know they want to have this building to as an asset and sure they pay down their debt on it and, and they're going to get something for it at some point um, but but typically you know the person that's going to buy it is going to want to grow that business and and need to grow that business with new clients and if if you put somebody in a bad location, then then sure, they may buy your practice, but the first thing they're going to do is move it to a better location. So then you're stuck with a uh, with a building and a and a empty dental practice that you're looking for someone to go in there and lease it. Um, so so always have um, the mindset that you know we we need this space. It needs to be uh, visible, accessible, uh, because someone at one point is going to vacate that building, and you need to be able to release it. Uh, whether it's a dental office or something else. Yeah, um, this so. is an interesting point. I have to jump in on this. I mean, and, and people really need to understand this. Owning dental practice real estate, you know, is, this is a very, very illiquid investment. You know, and, and Paul's heard me say this before, and we've we've had presentations where I've kind of had like hecklers that you know to you know totally disagree yeah. with me on this, but they're dentists that I think you know are on the wrong on the wrong path with that. But when you own this real estate, whether there's a dental office, realistically, there's one potential buyer out there. Right. The person that's buying your practice. You know, there aren't a lot of investors that are cruising around looking for single tenant, you know, dental office buildings for their real commercial real estate portfolio. So if you have something that is already illiquid, the last thing you want to do is make it more right. illiquid, yeah. you know, and the things that Patrick's talking about is is, is making it, you know, even a, a worse situation. And it's like great to own this thing, but you know, you don't make money off of it like your dental oh. practice every month. Like you make money off of that. You make money off of this when you sell it. And if you cheap out or you you make you know sort of compromises or you try to cut corners now, when you know what Patrick's saying, and we've seen this down the road, when it comes time to sell it, you may not be able to sell it. So you know, just because you didn't have to pay, quote unquote, I'm doing the air quotes, yeah, Paul right. sees it, uh, a, a landlord rent, and that you went with this alternative, you know, and instead doesn't mean that you know when the day comes you're going to be able to monetize it and actually make the money back well totally i mean there's a broker in my town who's i know from growing up playing sports and he's very nice to me he calls me like monthly he's like you, sh you sure you don't want this empty dental space one mile from your dental space i'm like yeah I'm, I'm totally good, right? <laughs> sure. It's like, you know, I'll take in like a, a stray pet instead of that because, you know, it's like, so they don't, they just don't get it. And I don't think, I, I think it's such an important point for dentists to realize that, you know, that's why when I do brokering and transactions, it, you know, people can make their own decisions as a seller. But if it was me, I would just be disengaging from my building and practice at the same time because it's what you guys just said. You know, you put this risk out there for yourself of, you know, somebody leaving. And, you know, these are sometimes small condo-ish things where, you know, it's a three-operatory or four-operatory practice, and that practice owner may grow and do something different. Yeah, and, and, then, and then the condo example is a good one, too, because, you know, ultimately you may end up having to sell this to somebody who's not a dentist. Right. You know, and we see that. And so now, you know, when it comes time to sell it, you're not truly recapturing the investment that you've made yeah. in this. And it's sort of like, I think that it's it's a popular misconception or it's something that people don't give enough uh, airtime to, Patrick, is that, you know, if you buy a condo, for example, for $300,000 and you put $500,000 into yeah. it, does not mean that it's worth $800,000. You know, it's like, you'd be like the person who is in the neighborhood who, you know, 
built a hundred and fifty thousand dollar swimming pool in their backyard. Right, yes. That did not make your house worth exactly. one hundred and fifty thousand dollars more. So the same thing when it comes to to, to a dental practice. Uh, if you're doing, if you're owning the uh, the real estate, when it comes time to sell, you know you may not be able to recoup all these costs. Right. But you know, I, I think you know, what, what's your take on that, Patrick? No, absolutely, and and that's a, the the biggest thing that I try to to tell them is, you know, we have some people that are so hung up on owning that they'll they'll make some bad decisions, and they got they got to realize that this is an asset, and they always got to have an exit strategy, and and let's think about ten, you know, fifteen, twenty years down the road in retirement, who's going to buy it, um, you know, what that market is going to be like, and and really return on investment, and and we've seen just like you said here in the in the Texas market where. You've had some really nice dental practices um, that were in, in uh, you know, standalone or a condo type of deal, and they've had corporate groups buy them that have been able to afford to buy the real estate, um, but but they passed on it, and they just said, no, we're buying the practice, we're not buying the building, you know, we're going to get acclimated with the practice, and then we'll probably relocate. Um, so it does, it's not a guarantee. So you you want to make smart decisions and and. And, uh, and and have a plan for, for when you retire. Uh, the other thing I'll add to that, too, because, you know, a lot of times who you're going to sell your practice to may be someone that's a, a young doctor um, that may not be able to afford to buy both. Right. So um, so think about that. It's important to to plan, make the right decisions, build uh, the, the ground up as an, a true asset, and, and just make smart, sound business decisions. Right. Yeah. And treat it like it is, which is it's a totally it's a different project. It's not something that you can just trip over and just kind of go through the motions. You have to be purposeful, work with the right people, get the right advice. And and otherwise, you know, you could be dealing with the consequences, as Patrick, as you say, you know, down the road at a time when uh, you're, you're ready to retire, when you don't have the ability to, to go out and still produce income and, and make money where you really are relying on this as you know, part of your retirement portfolio. And then all of a sudden there's uh, some sort of interruption or disruption in that plan, you know, it can really, really hit somebody hard. Absolutely. Uh, well, Patrick, this has been, uh, this has been great. Thanks. Uh, thanks for taking the time uh, to chat with us about all this. And uh, if listeners want to uh, get in touch with you and learn more about Excite Realty, uh, how can they do that? Yeah, um, reach out to, to us anytime. Our website is www.exciterealty.com. That is X-I-T-E-R-E-A-L-T-Y.com. Uh, or personally, if you uh, want to set up a time to, to, to talk, my email is pvalence at exciterealty.com. That is P-V-A-L-E-N-T-Z at X-I-T-E-Realty.com. That's great. And uh, that, that'll be up uh, on our show notes, uh, as always. And everybody note that, you know, Excite, it's not spelled the way Excite is spelled. Mm-hmm. It is X-I-T-E. So uh, it's a cool, uh, cool marketing, uh, you know, uh, brand that, that, that these guys have. But uh, when you're typing it into your web browser, you need to be need to be aware of that. Uh, but uh, thanks again, Patrick. This is uh, really uh, important stuff. I think anybody that's uh, considering a, uh, a ground-up uh, construction project uh, really needs to, to, to listen to this and, and, and think about what, you know, what their game plan is and, and how they can put themselves in the position to, to truly be successful. Absolutely. I enjoyed the uh, conversation with you guys. Thanks. Thanks, Patrick. I'm going to go uh, get on the treadmill now. So 
appreciate your your inspiration inspired me with, with margarita but i don't know it's this is a thought that counts so <laughs> yeah th- thanks patrick Patrick had some great, uh, great tips and, and insight there. And, you know, we see this a lot, Paul, and it's just another example of, you know, a lot of times you just don't know what you don't know. And, you know, when you're doing a project like this, this is a whole different line of business. You know, oh, yeah, this it's, is, it's not so eye opening. I mean, it's it starts to go into that world. I mean, I went to a great lecture by Robert uh, Roger Levin when I was a resident and he was it was funny. He's a good speaker. And he said, raise your hand if you open up a restaurant to like 200 dentists. And there's like. 30 hands went up and he goes, keep it up if it's still in business. There's like two hands went up because, right. you know, Dennis wanted to open restaurants too. And this kind of fits in with that, with this other business endeavor that you really just don't know anything about. Yeah. Right. And and <laughs> you have to get, you have to get the advice and you have to do the proper planning. You have to look at the numbers. You know, this is the same kind of thing that we're talking about in other contexts here when it comes to construction, you know, and you can't rely on the builder or the person that's going to make money off it to tell you, that it's good to do or not. You have to get yeah. your own team that's looking out for you and you have to make informed decisions based on the cash flow. And you know, how many people out there w- would consider doing the example uh, deal that Patrick talked about? I'm gonna put my office, a 3,000 square foot office in the 6,000 square foot building and I'll just rent out the other. Right, yeah. Then it'll be like an ATM, you know? Yeah, what and businesses, like, a good question, you know? Exactly, you know, and it's like, where's the money gonna come to pay for the tenant improvement allowance? Where's the money gonna come from to pay the brokers to bring the deals? Because yeah. that's like, you, these landlords have to write checks for that stuff, totally. you know? And landlords who are in the business, uh, who this is their, their business, have lines of credit, they have financing available to cover those costs. You right. know? And yeah. if you're a dentist and you're just building your building, you don't have those those resources. And if you've said a lot of times, Robin, some of your great lectures, this really reminds me of like, focus on your dental business first. And then if you become a real estate maven after that, it's a separate part of your life, right? right. You know, absolutely. You don't need to cram it into all into one with your first practice, your big thing, trying to find a fro yo thing. Do people even eat yogurt anymore? I don't know. You know, it's like those places, <laughs> right. right? You know, they, I, I work, I might, our second practice is one of those places where that landlord, I'm sure she, she has a tough time filling those spaces. I yeah. see stuff come and go all the time, uh-huh. you know? So it's a, uh, it's just another example of being purposeful. Oh, it's hidden, and the hidden costs, being purposeful, doing the plan working with the right people. And, you know, I'll say one other thing, too, about just ownership of the real estate. You know, we talk about the fact that it's a very illiquid investment. But, you know, as Patrick said, there are a lot of DSOs that don't want any parts of the real right, estate. Yes, yeah. You know, and, and you know, that, that should be a, a big warning oh, totally. sign for yeah. people. <laughs> yes. Why? Because you don't make money yes. off of the real estate, yeah. right? DSOs, they want to make money. These are private equity people. These are money guys, yeah. right? They want to put their money where they make the money. You don't make the money on the dirt. Yeah. You know? and, and in some situations, it, especially in the markets where, where Patrick is, it makes sense because there's just not stuff to lease or to buy. And so you might have to go out and build something, you know? Uh, there's a compelling reason to do it. But you have to you have to be aware of what what you're doing and why you're doing it and make an informed decision and not just sort of trip through it and find out, hey, you know, 20 years later, oh, geez, I wish I'd done that differently. Yeah, come back to bite you. I totally agree. Great. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, If you like the show, uh, jump on and. post uh, a good review uh, of us. And, yeah, thanks, uh, guys. Yeah, right, right. Hey, keep, keep our reviews going. We appreciate it. Thanks for listening to another great podcast with The Dental Amigos. And don't forget to tune in next time to have the dental business demystified. If you're looking for more information about today's podcast, you can find it on thedentalamigos.com. 
If you're looking for Paul, you can find Paul at drpaulgoodman.com. And if you're looking for Rob, you can find him at yourdentallawyer.com. This podcast has been sponsored by Orange Line Media Group, helping dentists and other professionals create content people love. Find out how we can help you take your business to the next level at www.orangelinemg.com. Till next time.